This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. The topic was given to me was how to juggle everything. Um, the answer to that is I wish I knew. That, that, but I really would like to, I guess, address the topic coming from a very different angle. Um, a, a woman... I guess one of the challenges of a, of a woman's role in a house is that there seems to be so many things going on. Um, you know, a, a man works hard, and so, so he's, you know, he's at his job, and he's working, but that's it. It's a job. A woman seems to be involved in so many jobs, so many things, and that's why juggling is hard. Um, that's why it's always an issue. There's always, there's always two or three balls in the air while trying desperately to catch one of them. Um, I would like, but I would like to try to approach it f- completely from a different angle. In other words, we put a lot of um, emphasis on getting all the jobs done. Every every little thing is critical. This one has to be picked up. This one has to be sent off. This lunch has to be made. The stack that is appointment has to be done. The house has to be put together, and so on. But I think we need to really understand what is the role that a woman provides in a home that is very different than a man and that a man doesn't do. Um, and I'd like to try to focus on that. So I, I want to, I'll bring two sources, try to explain it, and then I will, and then we can talk it, you can take it. The first one is a Gemara in Brachas. And if I don't explain something in Hebrew, I'm just very used to saying words in Hebrew. Um, if I didn't explain something, please... Um, call my attention to it. It's hard for me to keep thinking. The Gemara says, greater is that which women were promised than men, in, and which obviously is commensurate to their role in, in, in the family. So it brings a Pasik, um, not so important. So Rav turned to Rav Chia and he asked him, Noshim b'mai what is it that women do that gives them this merit? So the Gemara says two things. They literally it means they bring their children to school, to yeshiva, to cheder. The fact that they get their husbands to learn in the base medrash. And they wait for their husbands to come back from his marriage. That's the end of this little phrase. On the, on the surface of it, it sounds the other way. It sounds that their role is really supplementary. In other words, they're sort of, they're getting an assist at best. And it doesn't, that doesn't sit well with the beginning. The beginning is, why is it that what they were promised is greater than men, meaning their share and their role in the, in the spiritual side of the family is greater than, 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 the, than the man's. And then we get two items that seem to be really, really um, downgrading it, saying, well, they, they, take the, they drop off the kids at the cheder and they, and they wait for the husbands to come home from learning, okay, um, but that's that's sort of very very uh, it's an assist it's not it's not equal and it's not greater so how do you understand 
that discrepancy. That's one point. So I, I'd like to use a, uh, this is a Rebbeinu Bechai, it's a very early commentary, and he mentions something that I think is very, explains this, this Gemara well. It's a Rebbeinu Bechai in Shmos, in Yisro, and it says that when Hashem told Moshe to go and to tell Klal Yisrael um, that, you know, about receiving the Torah, so it says, Kosomo lebeis Yaakov, v'saget lebeis Yisrael. Tell the women, and that's where, that's where Beis Yaakov became the, the, um, the, the name for the girls' schools, the, 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 of this Pasuk, and, and, so you shall, and so shall you tell Klal Yisrael, which is the men. So Rashi explains that the difference in the, in the language, why does it say, tell the women and tell the men? So Rashi points out that the word to tell is different in each case. Kosomola Beisiakov, the word Amira, to tell, is a softer, uh, uh, it's, it's a, a softer form of speaking. And Tagit, which is used for the men, is a much tougher. It's, 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 it's both of them, they're synonyms, they both mean to tell, but one is a much stronger version. On the surface of it, it's because the men can take it strong, when we have to sort of soften it. Rabbi Mechayek has two or three explanations, and then he says like this, a woman, a, a, a righteous woman is the cause for the learning of Torah. She is the one who brings her son to the base medrash because she's home always and she has extremely warm feelings towards him and is able to use those feelings to bring him to learn. And even when he grows old, he never leaves it. And he says over here, this is actually the source, that's why a woman should daven when she's lighting candles Friday night that her children should grow up proper in the ways of Torah and so on. So I would like to think that there's a point being made here that will clarify both. When we speak about an activity as positive as learning, um, so the learning itself is a process, but how do I get a person from where he is, whether it's a child or a grown-up person, to where you would like him to be? It, it's an effort. It, 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 people, it, it, to go and to study is an effort. It, it, you have to take yourself out of routine, out of comfort, and go forward. Beating down on a person is not usually going to do the job. Um, you, can, you can beat somebody into doing something for some time, but you, 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 at some point it peters out. So the bridge is some sort of love, some sort of connection of warmth. And the mother provides that in the house. A, a child can respect his father, a child can look up to his father, but a child's sense of what's right and what's good, in, invariably the mother is that figure. I've met, you know, I'm from the generation, I remember the generation of people, some of them were family members of mine, who rebelled 
against their parents, went away, went far away, and some of them had extremely harsh things to say about their fathers, and but they all had an extreme soft spot for the mothers, and whatever piety the mother represented was holy to them. It, it was something that was, and even even if they weren't there anymore, but what, but it hurt them because it, it, it was it was something that was occupied that little kodesh akedoshim, that little sanctity of sanctities in the heart was the figure of the mother doing X, Y, Z, being disappointed, being happy. In other words, the mother's emotional sense of something is for a child probably the most significant um, drive to do good. He may not follow through on it, but it doesn't start without that type of feeling. A husband, more than anything else, down deep, needs, he, he relates very strongly to what his wife feels proud of. Um, her admiring him is extremely important. And if there is no admiration for X or Y or Z, it's, it's not happening. If you know that there's admiration for something, then it's a tremendous impetus to do it. The person wants, a man naturally wants to command the role of having the respect of his household. And first and foremost is his wife. And if she respects what he does, then, um, then, then he does it. That's, 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 a, that's a very, very powerful driver in that relationship. So the studying Torah is, takes time especially if, if for a child who's young and teenager, he's restless, he would like to be outside running around, and he's forced to sit down and to study. A, a, a grown-up person who is very busy at work, he comes home and he has um, little time, so to pick himself up now and to go study or to get up early and to study are not easy. Um, both of them need to have a very strong emotional push to do it. Yelling, screaming, reminding, giving musr are not emotional um, stimulus. They may, they beat you into doing it, and beating somebody into doing something is good if the person is natural at it. So somebody who's very good at something and you just have to give him a push, he gets into it. But if somebody has to develop it in himself, there's going to be a long road and pushing somebody to do it, it's not working. There's just a limit to how much you can push, how often you can push, and there's always a pushback. Those are things that happen all the time. So, so um, if you ask ourselves, of the myriad of tasks that a woman typically has in the home, what is the most important? The most important is not even a task. It is a certain atmosphere that you set. It's a certain, and it has to be genuine. You have to believe it, understand it, feel it. And you, you don't have to say it, but a look in your eyes um, means something. So let's take those two things. The, the woman brings the child to the base medrash, to the cheder, to the school, not just the carpooling. It's not the carpooling part. It's the fact that she serves as the bridge from the home the child loves the home, 
and the mother who's a quarter home, and if the mother's real admiration is for the person who's learning and studying and it's expressed, then that's the bridge that takes the child and the child wants to do it because he knows it's right, he knows it's something that is liked by his mother, is wanted. For the husband that comes home and is tired and so on, and he knows that his wife looks up to him, she's proud of it, that he spends that time and, 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 and makes those sacrifices, those are things that are, um, th- those are things that, are, that provide the real basis for it. So if we go back to that Gemara again, let's go back to Gemara. Gemara says, women's schar is greater than the man's. Um, and then it says, what do they do? They take their children to school and they wait for the husbands to come, they send them off to, 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 to learn and they wait for them to come back. So we ask, if, it's, if we take it flat the way it reads, that they're doing the mechanical task of the, of the carpooling, it certainly doesn't make sense that their reward is greater. They're not doing something more. The answer is, we're talking about who provides the bridge from where a person is to where you'd like him to be. And the answer is the feelings of the mother and the wife. If the mother projects her love for the child and her love for the things that Torah does, so the child will have an emotional bridge. And, and even, he may not be conscious of it, but it's there and very powerfully, and he, he, he will try to make that effort to do well. Again, there are always obstacles. There's always more on the road. But at least to bring him to the cheder, to make that first step, that's going to happen. And the same thing with a husband. A, a husband who doesn't bring home enough parnasa feels down, and yes, and, you know, because besides the pressure of the, of, of, the, of the finances, the fact that his wife thinks of him as being a failure is terrible, and that's, that's an impetus for working hard and providing if a woman has the same sense about his studying, you know, your wonderful husband, again, you have to, it, doesn't, it should not be verbalized, it's because then it becomes a musashmus, but if it's felt, I'm proud that after a long day you can do that, it's something I always wanted for somebody who could learn, know, be something of a Talmud Chacham. If it's genuine and it's felt, that's the greatest stimulus for a man to go out and to do it. The admiration of his wife, the respect for his wife, is 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 what makes him tick. So those so so those that's the point I wanted to make, and then leave it open for you to to you know talk about it. The point was because we juggle so many things, we forget. Even if once the the, the floor didn't get clean up when it should have been, this didn't get dropped off at the right time, that they get part. All of those things are important, but not crucial. What's crucial is the atmosphere. If a child senses that dropping him off to school and taking him to school, and school is just another burden on his mother, and really it's just a chore, in the full sense of the word, then, then he's going to have less than cheshik. If, if a husband senses that a wife is sort of, okay, you've got to do the hour learning, okay, but, you know, okay. So then, then the, that stimulus is not there. When you have that emotional um, 
projection of, of warmth for a child and respect for a husband, that brings them to the shul, that brings them to base medrash. And, and, um, and, and in that sense, it's greater because she's, she's what initiates it. She's what makes it happen. She, she's the catalyst for it. And that's why it's so important. Okay, what, what, would some people like to talk about things. So this is just sort of to start off or any, um, any points you'd like to, yes? I guess, um, can you give a couple of practical examples of things, um, I guess from you it would be helpful specifically with kids that show them that what, you know, like taking them to school, I mean, because when you're in the moment and it's rushing and it's trying to get there, it's hard to stop. Correct, correct, to correct. Like figure out how to actually put that into but, your But, mind. but, um, I think when a child comes home and tells you what they did in Cheder, and or school, Cheder, whatever you, what you call it, and you, 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 you look happy and say, wow, you did this parasha, and, or if, when, on Shabbos, if he says it over and says it nicely, and you come and you say, well, I'm, you know, it, I'm so proud, it's, it's really amazing what you learn, and you know, you're, you're, you're fortunate or some. It has to be genuine, but but you, you, you obviously when when you know when you're rushing and, and everything that you're not going to be able to express it that way. But so many other opportunities that when when a child does something good in learning and, and whether it's good in school or there's some extra stuff, and you show and you show that you're happy, you you you, you know you focus on it and you smile and, and you say, I'm, I'm really proud of you. This is you know this is this is what I you know this is what we're here for. It makes a difference. And uh, you know, I, I I don't think I've ever had anyone reject a mother. Rejecting fathers, unfortunately, you know the the clash. But but that that sense of of kodesh kadashim, and and wherever you say, whatever it is that you put the good word in for, that that the person that the child sees the the smile in your face, that makes a difference. Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm a grandmother. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a grandfather. So uh, one, one thing we all know about children is they don't always want to tell you like what happened in school. Yes. They just come and they're exhausted. Where's the snack? Take me to Seven Eleven. You know, for a Slurpee, um, and that's it. So one thing that we try to do is say, okay, "All right, everybody." Tell me one thing that was good today. One thing happy that happened in school today. Tell me one thing you learned. Just one thing. Close your eyes and think. One thing you learned today. And and then they stop and think, yeah, I was in school today. You know, something did happen. <laughs> you know? So um, that's, I just want to throw that out. You know what you, what you could do a lot? It, it is hard because not every day works well, but... For instance, in Shabbos, at the at the Suda where the kids know, pick pick one nice thing that you learned in, in school and say it over. Tell us about it, and you comment. And it's all it, when you compliment someone, a child, you know, when it's generic, say, "Oh, that's wonderful." It's somewhat of impactful. If you take the point and talk about it and say, well, the point you made as well because X and Y, Z, it's like always when you compliment somebody and the more specific. So, so even if it's once a week and you can say, you can say, you know, I wished I had been able to learn that when I was young or something like that. 
you know, those things go a long way in, in so it can be done once a week, but, but it's done in a setting where a child knows he should be saying it, and once he gets in the swing of it, that he gets appreciated for it, then he, um, then he responds well. Yes, you're, sorry, you want to say you want to say something? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a question. Um, so, one question I think is uh, for a lot of us younger um, families is in terms of like davening versus going to, 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 to you know, minion versus like helping at home during those afternoon hours. And for some reason, no matter like if it's summer or winter, it's always like the worst time. I don't know how that happens. But, like, <laughs> um, so, what come, what's the priority? And how should we, I mean, what should be our perspective about it? Because then the kids do feel that really big stress sometimes. So is that the first overriding? So, um, so what's specifically talking about? I just, should he drop it at home and help The kid. The husband, yeah. The husband. The kids you want to send, the kids, the kids you want to send, the kids you want to send away. And, Yeah. <laughs> so, you're talking. I, I, um, when you say the afternoon, you're talking about Shabbos, weekdays. I, I'm just trying to get it said. Weekdays. So, so I, I guess in the big picture, uh, uh, these things you obviously should try to plan before. In the big picture, it should be the exception, either the exception in terms of something specific, or critical, or specifically. You know, it's, it, generally speaking. Dabbing should be pretty much something that's set in the schedule in, in shul. Um, you know, but the problem is, it, it, dabbing is and dabbing with the minion is very important, and especially for the kids when they see the commitment, and they see it a, a commitment. It's hard for the parents as well. It makes an impression on them. But if 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 uh, if let's say a father gets up early in the morning, very early in the morning, and he tells the kid, I have to get up early because I've got to make the minion. If the wife says, if the mother says, um, you know, I, I, it, it's, you know, it's hectic, but Abba's got to go to the minion now, it, it makes an impression on the child. If, obviously, if it's something which is um, very critical, you know, sometimes a newborn baby or things, I, I think you need to ask yourself before to balance what will happen if not. So sometimes it's crucial to, you know, it just... You know, there are times when you're not well, it's not going, versus times that, okay, so the toys will be a mess, the kids will go see a bit later. I, I think it's important to balance it. Um, any one answer automatically um, says home is not important, school is not important. N- not, not a very good uh, statement. But, but when you weigh it and you say, okay, um, this is the schedule, it's, it's going to be a bit hectic, but we'll work it out this way. Or it's it's critical now. It's just not I'm, I'm not up to doing anything, and th- this is a critical time. I think if a kid gets that sense that the, the father should be going to minion, that's what a father should do. There's a story in Neibrak, and um, Rebbe Steinman is like the the elder of the generation, and he's a very very big tzaddik. He also has a very sometimes a big shop, and on, and kind of he has a very cute sense of humor also. But a somebody came to him and asked him, you know, with this this was a, a, a young father who was sort of very um, overwhelmed, and he said, you know, he notices his young boy who's never gone to shul yet, like a three or four year old, 
he sees him doing like this as if he's putting on the film. What like must be a special neshama? Like what what does it say? He says it says that you should be dabbing a shul more often and not at home. <laughs> you know that's the, the so, so it's it, it's an important. It, the problem is also if the usually when you dab at home it's kind of quick, and and the kid picks up on it. It's very lackadaisical. There, there is there there is so for short periods of time when it's critical. Yes, that overrides it. But in, in the bigger picture, you need to schedule the learning and the davening. It's, it's tough. But you have to ask yourself always, you have to list the priorities. I'll, I'll tell you another story for Steyman. Um, he, um, a father came to him once, and he said to him that his kid is having these, these difficulties and what to do. So he said, you need, he thought about it, he said, you need to learn with your child. So he said, I don't have any time during the day whatsoever. They said, you know, review your schedule with me. So he went through his whole schedule, and he was somebody who was studying full-time in a kollel, and he was an important figure, and so on and so forth. Ashtayman looked through his schedule and said, yeah, I found the time. He said, davening is only a rabbinic obligation. Learning with your son is a Torah obligation. Skip the davening and learn with your son. So obviously the person found time. Now, it was just a way to, to, to tell him, you're not giving enough, enough weight. Um, it's it's something we discuss, right? and you, you need to be able to. I, I mean, one of the things that efficiency experts do is you make yourself a list of what's critical, what's what's necessary, and what's desirable. And it's it's fine. You have a wish list. It's like it's like when you have a budget. You say what must you buy, what ought you buy, and what would you like to buy. And when you put it down, there are a lot of activities we do, and then we can say to ourselves, okay, let's prioritize. The father going to shul and learning uh, some amount of time in a, in, a, in a structured setting is is important both for him, his own ruchnius, and it's important for the tone it sets in the house. Um, so, so you use a lot of times just have to figure out the schedule and figure out what could go and and and, and so on. And and it's not. I always say when when I was. When I, I was a, uh, when I first started the job in Silver Spring, my family hadn't moved yet. I was there alone because it just was very difficult. Nine kids from Israel, so it took time till we were able to, to make the move as a family. And I was invited to speak someplace about Chinuch. And I said, I'm really delighted here to speak about Chinuch. I said, because normally, when a speaker gets up to speak about uh, Yerushalayim, fearing God, so the assumption is, you people don't fear God, I do, and let me tell you how to do it. But when you speak about chinuch, you always have a problem because your little tatel is running around wild in the back while you're talking about chinuch. He, he, he calls the lie to what you're saying. But I said, my kids are not here, so I can sit and pontificate about wonderful chinuch and pretend. So I'm here without, my wife's not here even, the, my, my kids are not here, and I can, I mean, my kids are grown up, but uh, so I can, I can wax eloquent about chinuch. We had the same struggles, you know, Leon Harry, we had nine kids. There were times that was difficult. So, so yes, in, in Israel it was obviously I go to struggle here. But there were those. There was always the struggle of there were so many balls floating in the air. But a lot of times, something becomes an assumed necessity when it's not. It's just like in a budget. Nobody thinks that he overspends. But when you start analyzing, saying would you categorize this as necessity, important, or desirable? You begin to to have some sort of sense, and and you're able to do it that way.
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, so for, um, especially for those of us that have like younger children, and some of us have younger children that sometimes are more high maintenance, just like need more from you at all right. times. How do you prioritize, um, and let's say that child needs more from you all the time. <laughs> like how do you know, like but how do you prioritize giving that, that individual child what they specifically need, as well as still not neglecting your other children, your house, your family, whatnot, and in theory, if you were to give that child like as what they need, everything runs smoothly. But then it's at the like detriment of your other children or your house sometimes. So how do you prioritize? How do you? Um, so so it, it really depends. I mean, it's it's a difficult situation. You know, sometimes it's high maintenance emotionally, sometimes physically. A child has some sort of physical shortcoming that just needs time. It's not. It's not his fault, you know. And even emotionally, it's also not his fault. But you know, emotionally, you sort of get the sense of he's demanding a lot. Um, you so I guess it, it, it takes a long conversation. But a, you want to know is this for a short period of time or long period of time? Okay. You want to know what would be the downside of giving the child less than the maximum attention? How much would be affected? You can also do things that give a child a certain qualitative time. In other words, this is your time with your father. This is your special role. It, you know, you just sometimes can compensate on both ends of the scale <clears throat> with the amount of time as having special time. You know, Tuesday evening walk is with you. Um, you're the one that, that I do this with. So, so there are ways to compensate for it. It's, uh, and it's, it's tough. I mean, I know we, we, we've, we've had now extended family. A, a, one, of, one of our relatives had, a, they had, they had to make a choice between a child who demanded 24-7, it was very severely mentally handicapped, to other children. They chose whatever they chose, um, but it was, it wasn't, you know, it, it was a tough decision. N neither the two, they didn't, they didn't have the ability to sort of compromise, but it's not easy. But under normal circumstances, if you, you can give certain, and say, this is Yaakov's time, this is Chaim's time. This is now. Now I'm doing this with him, and if the child would love 24/7 attention, you can do less than he would be optimal, and then give the other children special time slots, special this. I think it's part of. Uh, there was a Chassidish um, Rebbe once said that the year and a half that he was an only child ruined him for the rest of his life. In other words, he'd gotten used to it, and it's it's one of the. It's one of the mistakes in the American mentality is there's a certain mentality to have one child at a time so that we can give him everything for 10 years and then we'll have a second child. The best thing you can give for your child is some competition. In other words, you're not the only one. I was once sitting with a, a, a boy in the yeshiva. He was, he was a high school, young high school boy. He, he was asked to leave for very, very good reasons. I wasn't involved in high school, I just was around because, because the, the, my division is sort of there. So I would sort of kid it's, it's sat with me and he said, he doesn't understand how this is going to help him in any way, the, you know, being asked to leave. I told him, but it might help a hundred other children. Like, why do you think everything's centered around you? 
you know, whatever you're doing, it really was bad. It, it wasn't, you know, it was something that for the rest of the children was not good to have around. And I said, I said as nice as I could, I said, you need to understand that you, the world does not turn around you. It's healthy for a child when there's, he has to give some weight. I have, I, there's somebody, a very wealthy man who, um, not religious, I, I learned with him every, every other week for many years. He's a donor for the yeshiva. And he, he has only two children, and, but he said he never, he resisted the temptation to buy a house so big that there would not be a forced crossing of paths. If the child has a little veal on the side, like this wing is his wing and this wing is his, his wing, it doesn't allow him to learn how to compromise, how to be mindful somebody else needs a shower. If I have my own private shower whenever I want it, then it's convenient, but, but that's, that's a, a bubble. Um, life calls for somebody to make a decision. I want to go first, you want to go first, he wants to go last, I want to go last. It's important. The, 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 the friction that happens, as long as it's within the range of the normal and the healthy, it, it teaches him that, you know what, there are other people around, and sometimes attention is focused on someone else. It, it, those, the people who grow up as being only children don't make easy spouses, <laughs> you know. It's 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 sort of you you have a a um, you're used to getting two times 100% attention. It's very tough to beat that. <laughs> and and so so it, so when you limit one child and you give him less than might be optimal, on the other hand, you're giving him some survival tools for the for the world around. Yes. So in the summer months, when my kids are, are not necessarily in camp, um, the day obviously gets a little bit lazy and a little bit slower, and I find it difficult to have the kids like dominant in the morning without it becoming a thing, and obviously I don't want to like get into it. I mean, I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old, so I'm mainly talking about the oldest one, right. um, and so like, how do you kind of get them to want to do it on their own without having to force them and creating like that friction about something that should be positive? So I would go gentle because simply davening is very difficult for a kid. Um, an eight-year-old is, is very difficult for him. So it's one thing when you take him to a shul and he's part of something and they're doing the davening and he has to sit and answer, whatever it is, it, it's, very, it's very hard to inspire a child because he doesn't know the words it's, he doesn't understand it. I, I would make it a duty without being overbearing about it, right. because you know. Or I would, I would um, make it a shorter version than normally he does. Again, your husband's obviously the one that's going to make those, you know, the, that type of balance of what he could say, what you say. But I would say that that it's something that you need to. Unfortunately, davening for an older adult. For many of them, that's sort of the entranceway into Judaism, and learning is hard. For a child, if he's if he's bright and he does well in school, learning becomes the entry, and davening is tough. It's 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 something that that everybody struggles with. So I, I would I would make it that he's davening officially. Okay, now you're davening, and breakfast is in a half hour and a quarter of an hour. It's, I would not peek in and see how much is daydreaming and how much is davening S- simply because you're going to put him in an untenable situation and, and when davening becomes forced 
it does, it, and especially at the age of eight, it's, you know, I, I know it's your oldest, so at eight it looks like, no, you know, know he's right. a grown up. And I mean, I, I never forced it. It's more like a suggestion, and then it, you no, no, it's, it, as long as it's made as part, it, it's important that from your point of view, it's a given that this is what you're doing in the morning. Um, but I would not, I would not get very intrusive and, and see really what's going on over there. So it has to be pleasant. If, if, if a child likes to sort of sing song together with you, something, Kriya Shema, and this and that, and he doesn't feel that you're mummying him or babying him, but you like to do it together, I love, you know, for you as a grandmother, it's easier because you want to daven with your grandson together, your granddaughter, granddaughter probably works better. Sing-songing actually is very pleasant. I was at a minion. I, had a, I have a friend of mine who was a, very involved in, in Kira, other things in a, in a certain city, and they actually had a group of Reformed Jews daven twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. It was in a side room in the Reformed Temple. And I happened to be there, and he told me, I'll bring you to the shul. So I asked him, where are you going to? He's going to the Reformed Temple. I said, what's that about? <laughs> and he told me, I said, I want to go see that. So I went with him. It was in a side room. And, but it was, what I found fascinating was it took them a full hour, but they chanted the entire davening together. People chanting, Sephardim do it, it's beautiful. It, it, it's, it, it feels good. It feels much better than davening, you know, without moving your lips. Um, I can tell you my, um, one of my boys, my oldest boy, they used, to, they used to stay by my mother-in-law's house. They used to take turns. And the shul closest to him was Rebel Yashif's shul. And my son was sitting in front of Rebel Yashif davening. He wasn't overdoing it, my son. I, I guess he, his davening was not a strong point of his. And, and um, he, he must have been 12 years old at the time. Rabbi Yashif told him after davening, he said, when you daven out loud, you focus better and you enjoy it a lot more. So if you can do it, especially with a girl, if, if, you, if you ask her what her favorite song to sing this with and something like that, it could, it could become inspiring. You have to put some effort into it. But... Unless if a child feels you're really pushing it on him or her, not good. But but if you if you can do it, that would be great. I think adults should do it. We try to do it with Krishna in, in the high school by us. The middle school it works well. The seventh eighth graders, there are two or three pasups of Gizimra that they sort of say out loud together in a chanting way, and it's very very nice. Um, the older kids didn't take to it, and we, we stopped it. Just wasn't uh, we weren't going to battle it. Yes. choice of what? And I, I meant the choice was to pick which, how much dominant you, like, like you're planning a summer, you'll be home in the summer. What, so it's nice if you can scale down his davening. He needs to feel that, that you know, he's getting a vacation across the board at, at the age of 80 once, but to decide what to say and what not to say, if not for me to say that, you know, that's something that, that I guess would be a husband's input with your input. Right. You know, that type of thing, saying what, what do we want to say? Just Krishna, Krishna, Manasa, Krishna, Manasa, with everything in between. I'm saying there's a certain halachic, so to speak, aspect of it. 
But in terms of the atmosphere, you know, as long as it's, it's, it should be something that's a given. It, it's, you know, what is it that you're, you know, this, this is what you're doing when you wake up, and breakfast is 20 minutes later. You know, now is time. And even if it sits with the sitter and daydreams of patches off, don't, you know, it, it shouldn't be something that you uh, pay attention to. There's, I, I, I want to explain maybe this point. I think it's important. In, in Chinuch, there are two or three different aspects to what you're doing when you're being mechanach. So the primary one is you're inspiring someone to do something. It's also at a younger age, you're giving a child habits that help him later on in life. I, I was, when I came to the Media Yeshiva in 1970, English boys started coming from England. And it was the first time in those days people traveled much less. It was the first time really that the two cultures met. So the English boys were blown away by the freedom the Americans had. They did not have to do anything. Their beds never were made in the years they were in yeshiva. The stuff in the closet was a perfect example of what's called statistics of random walk. The the um, you know it, 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 it was they, they they never wrote letters. Americans were what they call Hebrew hefker, did nothing, and the English were blown away with that love of freedom. They everything they was folded up neatly, everything was put away, everything was this and so on, so forth, and they wrote letters and so. So yes, they they've been trained, they're very English, but then I realized it's not that the Americans have freedom. At that age, they no longer could do it. They no longer could fold this stuff. They no longer could make their beds. They no longer could write a letter. They no longer, in other words, they had never had training so that these are habits that can come natural. It's very hard when putting things away is unnatural to you to force yourself. So part of chinuch is to pick up a rhythm of proper behavior and proper, you know, and doing what's right. As an adult, you can choose yes or not. So even, it's not that if you, if you make, but if davening is a given, a morning starts with davening. There's nothing, there's an, there's a, there's an old, I guess it's a, it's a tragic comic joke of old times. In the late 1800s or the 1900s, a lot of Jews started leaving the fold. There were many reasons for it, unfortunately, uh, a fold of observance. And, and um, in Europe, it was, so one older person you know, was really very upset, and he, he he told his friend, you know, it's the fifth day that my son has not put on film. And the second one said, oh my gosh, he's going to starve to death because you don't eat before you put on film. So you know, you know, so so so, so he's going to starve to death. It, it was kind of it's a bittersweet uh, joke, but a child needs to feel a morning starts. I, I want to tell you, when I was, you know, I'd lost my father 25 years ago, my mother a year and a half ago. So the day that, the day after, from the time of death till the time of burial, under normal circumstances, you do not do any positive mitzvahs, only negative. In other words, you don't bench, you don't make brachas, you don't daven, you don't put on tefillin, you, you, you don't do any positive commandments. That's called an onan, God forbid, this is, uh, this is part of, you know, that's part of the avelus, because you're busy with the funeral It's That's the halacha. So... I woke up in the morning, so you have to wash your hands, but you, again, that's it. No brachas or nothing. 
And when my father passed away, it was like two full days because we went there to stroll. And I felt so blah. I mean, what is it? You just open up your eyes and eat breakfast? No bracha, no davening, no tefillin. And it's not that I'm such a fantastic davener and so on, but the idea of being so empty was extremely um, yucks. And, 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 you know, when a child picks up a certain rhythm of life, so as a young child, it's like the chinuch to take a shower. It's, you want that to be natural. You, you want him that someday you shouldn't think about making a decision about taking a shower. It should be part of his <laughs> normal life. You know, it, it, it's, it's something that, it, 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 so that's a habit. You can't mistake that for chinuch. But but it's something that is a very important part, especially at a younger age. So, day starts with davening. There's no such thing as day of davening. I'm not looking in to see exactly what davening you've done and how much davening you've done. But but at least he has that rhythm at the age of eight. Yes. So that ties very well to what you're saying. But my question is, how do you teach like old dogs new tricks? Because right. like, you know what I'm saying. I'm Eight, nine years old, or older. Eight, nine years old. I feel like they're older. I feel like they're older. Putting points away or sitting at the shelves table, like I can list like ten things that are that should have been a habit from age three year two. So you know, some some things some things you have to rethink. Sitting at a Shabbos table, unfortunately, things are a lot more difficult for kids today than they were, and and you have to you have to be realistic. What it is, which habits you can demand, which not. If it's radically different than their friends, you know, there's what you would like and there's what's feasible, and and so you try you try to do things that are. Listen, if you think about how many good habits your kids do have, you know, Hashem, kids that grow up in a community, even you know, with all your wish list of, of other habits, but they do have tremendous habits. And you have to ask yourself, what is it, you know, you can make a Shabbos day up to this point, or coming us and telling us what you, what you learned and, and how you would like to apply it. Or, it, it, it more than sitting the entire Shabbos table is important that they participate. And finding a balance, as a kid gets older, eight, eight is young, nine is young, I know you sound old, um, <laughs> but when a kid becomes a little more mature, 12, to, make, to plan these things together with your child, is a lot of times, I tell it, for instance, about computer and stuff like that. You sit down with a child, not when he's on a computer, you know, like at the beginning of a year, and say, listen, um, life is about balancing stuff. I know you enjoy games on the computer. On the other hand, if I told you you're going to be sitting on a computer, or if I, if I tell you that your friend sat on a computer 24 hours a day for, for, for 52 weeks, you would think, poor boy, you know, nothing going on. You, you don't want to do that. So let's think how much time is reasonable and how do we make safeguards? Because you can say, but you can say, you can share. You can say, I know that when I sit down by something, I lose myself in it. So let's together make a plan. What's reasonable? How much time a day goes for homework? How much time a day goes for sports, doing stuff? And how much time a day for computer games? Computer is fine, it's a way to chill out. I get you. But let's plan together. And Let's you know, and and you can explain your role is to get him to do what he wants to do. It's not eight at, at the age of eight; it's too young, but at the age of twelve, it's something that a child can do, and they feel empowered by it. No child will tell you, "I like to sit." I asked a boy once; not he he was at our yeshiva, but he's not from the community. What he did on on the summer, 
And he told me I vegetated. <laughs> I, I'm serious. He told me, and, and, and he, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I parked myself down next to the computer and got up eight weeks later. And it was sad. It was sad, sad, sad. He himself understood that he had just sort of ratted eight, eight. And, and in my mind, that's the worst part. You know, everybody talks about the terrible things on the internet. At least we know they're terrible. At least no one says, I sat and watched pornography for eight weeks. They're ashamed of it. They're bad. But that he played video games uh, and he just basically took, to, you know, put his mind on autopilot and, and went to work. It, that, to me, that's... So, so some, yes, a person needs to do some relaxation, but I think a child needs to learn what some means and how to safeguard. And you can be frank, you tell a child, every, every person has a weakness. Once you park yourself down in, in, on, on autopilot, you, you have a hard time getting back on track. What are you going to do? Is it, will we make the computer on a timer? Will I come in and close it? What's going to happen? We'll try it for a week and see when you come up. You know, things of that nature. Once the child gets to that point where they're mature enough to be able to give you a, a reasonable answer, you know, something that you can work with. Because the biggest chinuch is to teach a child to be on top of himself, to, to, to understand himself, to be on top of himself. And, and that phase is, is a critical phase of chinuch. Yes? Yeah, um, moving a little you know, forward, I mean, I think uh, you are like eight years old. Um, <laughs> you are not old enough yet, First of all, a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, sorry, why? First of all, a big piece of the puzzle is the school they're going to. Whatever it is, you're working in tandem with the school. So a big answer there is going to be the school they're going to and who is having an effect on them. A teenager typically wants to pull away and your your success as a parent will be in putting him in an environment where he is going to um, be drawn to things that you want to be drawn. A, a, a teenager, I, I, I think it's a, it's a pasuk in the Torah. It says, Al Kenyazov Imov. Therefore, a child will leave his mother and father, and. And, and become attached to his wife, to his spouse. Um, the the uh, if a child who is a up till you know adolescence, he's very attached to home, and unless the home is a terrible and happy place, the child really wants to leave for a long time, and it's very traumatic. There comes a point when he doesn't want to be home, when everything in the world is more exciting than home. And what's happened is just like the, just like he's all of a sudden gone from being five foot to six foot three. And, 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 and everything about him changed. This changed because or else he'd never be able to get married. Akash Baruch wanted us to have that one stage. What you, but on the other hand, he's nowhere near ready to do anything. And that's why the Torah didn't tell you to get married at 13 when physically you could have a child. The Torah said to get married at 18 when you're emotionally mature for it. 
So at that period of time, he's open for tremendous change, positive and not so positive. It's not going to come from home, it's going to come else. Providing an educational environment that is, um, A, inspires him. Because a child, it, 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 he makes incredible commitments. They're not rational, but it, it's emotional and, and it's very strong. That's natural part of it. So you want it to go to an, a place that's good. You'll see in a, in a yeshiva that has inspired a kid well, a kid will be sitting and learning crazy hours. It's not smart. It's not good. It'll, it'll change. But, but that's, that's a teenager. A teenager is making very strong um, you know, commitments and, and ideals, inspirations, and so on. You, you, you need to keep your sanity and stability. The child, because what will happen is when he turns 21, 22, 23, he's going to come back. He's going to come back as an adult. But if you're treatment of him was st- stable you, you stood for the things he stood for you gave, him, you gave him the freedom he needed and yet you knew at which places to draw the line then, then when he comes back it snaps into place but, but, but understand that, that the adolescent becoming an adolescent is not a failure of yours that's what he's become and even the things that they argue with vehemently that they hear at the table, the ideas they express, they will argue with them when they're teenagers. As adults, it'll come out of their mouths. Every woman will tell her children what she heard from her parents, despite all the complaints she had about them. It's, it's the natural. You know, it, it's, it, it's almost, there's a, there's a marriage counselor in, um, in Baltimore that we, we use him a lot. A lot of people, he's, he's amazingly good. And he does some pre-marriage stuff and one of the things that he does in the pre-marriage stuff is he asks both um, the Hassan Kala how their parents typically react. What are the words their parents say and react in certain situations? And then he basically, his point is, this is what you're going to be. You need to change it. Even if you, if you felt your parents were... Um, stupid, crazy, miserly, insensitive, and so on, you're going to be that person unless you make a conscious change. You're, because that's why that's it's built into you. And you need to understand that if this is the way your parents reacted when X happened, unless you consciously work on it, it's not going to change. And if you feel it's going to be problematic, you better make some effort to change it. You know, he's got his thing. He's very, he's very effective. But that's, that's something that... So if your message is good... And it's coming, you don't need to fight him. You need to keep sounding your message confidently, calmly, and at some point, it snaps in. It's, uh, it's tough. It's, I mean, a, a woman asked me, I don't know, a while back, a few weeks ago, I was at somewhere, and she asked about how do I maintain, how do I keep on maintaining that relationship? You know, my kids don't tell me anything, is that? I told her, you can't. It's not normal for a teenager to have that type of um, cl- that type of conversation with a mother that he had two years ago. When he was ten, there wasn't anything he or she wouldn't tell the mother. At fourteen, there's nothing he or she would tell the mother. None of your business. You don't know. It's it's okay. It's a friend. Don't worry. It, 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 and understand that that's part of his process. 
but the, but it doesn't mean he's not listening. It doesn't mean he's not absorbing, and it doesn't mean that you're not affecting him. Um, as long as you understand what to expect and understand that what you're projecting goes somewhere, it, it will it will happen. Yes. How do we convey our pride to our husbands in their learning and dominate without sounding patronizing? Um, good point. It's it's a ve- it's a very um, imagine. It, it, it takes some thinking. In, in, in general, anytime you compliment somebody for good reason, you don't want to sound contrived. But if, if you tell, let, let's say, imagine you tell over your husband a conversation you had with somebody and you said, you know, my husband goes to share every day and this is what I live for. If it's done in a way where it sounds sort of offhand, you're just talking over a conversation, it's a piece of it, it's very powerful. Um, you know, this is it's it's the story of Rabbi Kiva and Rachel, where he knocked on the door and he heard his wife tell somebody, if he would listen to me, to go back for another twelve years, um, and that made the difference in the great Rabbi Kiva. So the whole great Rabbi Kiva that we talk about is really his wife's um, say that conversation. If you sort of if you tell it to a to a child of yours, you know, we you can if if a child, if a child says we don't have something or whatever, then you say to him, but you know what. Your tati goes every day to learn and has a Mr. Davening. That's worth us more than anything else. It's, it's um, you know, those are things that are very, very, uh, they speak very loudly. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and a, a husband and wife can sense, you know, a sense of wife's look at him, um, you know, how a wife uh, says something, it comes through. Okay, I think there's, you have to juggle now some other event also, so I, I don't know how to juggle the two events with... Uh, okay, best.